Money Rules or Money Rules. Here at Hold My Wealth, we are all about empowering financial success in our community of listeners. We hope you find today's topic both informative and helpful. Hi, and welcome back to the Hold My Wealth podcast, Money Rules, Money Rules. I'm your host, Stephen Logan, and as always with me is Hamish Ferguson. Hamish, thank you for coming along. Oh, you're welcome, Steve. Anytime. Uh, our special guest today is Matt Ivers. Matt Ivers is the founder of Vision Finance in 2000, and he's worked as a licensed mortgage broker since that time. So for over 15 years, he's been specialising in investments uh, and in property. Frustrated that his investment clients uh, were purchasing property without strong and robust uh, research to back up why they were doing it, in 2015, Matt went on to become a licensed buyer's agent and then on to become an accredited investment property advisor. As, a, as an accredited property investment advisor, Matt is now able to bring that robust evidence that he felt was missing in the industry to his clients and now to others. He's also the Vice President of the Australian Property Investment Association. Matt, thank you so much for coming. Mm. Thanks for having me. How has your week been, Matthew? Uh, well, it's only Monday and it feels like I've done a, a week's work of work. <laughs> <laughs> You know, as, I, as you were um, giving that introduction, Steve, I, 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 it reminded me that I actually became a financial advisor because I was so uh, frustrated with how we were referring clients to other financial advisors as well. So there's a similarity in there that either Matt and I just um, are so pig-headed that we think that we're the only ones that... <laughs> I think there's a bit of both. <laughs> It is true. Like when you talk to a lot of professionals, I think that is we, we tend to go where we like, don't we? We go, we go to what interests us. And if you've got a an area where you're like feeling there's a hole here, I'm frustrated that my clients aren't being serviced. It's a natural progression to go that direction. So, you know, more power to both of you for, for doing that actually. And, and I really want to delve into that, Matt, later on to, to ask why you you felt that. You know, what was actually happening in the industry. <laughs> but uh, for right now, tell us, Matt, what's uh, what's happened to you for the rest of this week? How you've had a had a big first day. Are you going to uh, chill out, or is it just going to continue on? Uh, no, it's a, a, a big week. We're, I've got sort of quite a lot of client files to do, and I think you're going to touch on it later. But when we put the um, what we call a property investment evaluation plan together, it's a lot of work. So I've got a, a lot of that to do this weekend to present to my clients, which is the fun bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, fantastic. Well, let's get into it. One of, one of the things I wanted to ask you is actually around that that career move. I mean, that's a big move to go from solely being a, a mortgage broker to actually going, hang on, I want to I want to really get around investment property and investment property advice. Um, so for you, you know, what what brought you to that? What was the you know your reason for for doing that? Uh, honestly, it was my uh, mortgage breaking team that pushed me into it. Mm-hmm. So we we had a lot of clients. We, I was an investment lending specialist, really, uh, and then we saw you know some pretty poor results and mm-hmm. some poor some poor advice. And uh, and my team just went, well, we should bring it internally and do it. And so they pushed me into it very reluctantly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we've talked about it before on here. You know, when when an investor comes to you or when a client comes to you and they say, I've got $750,000, where should I spend it? You know, you can put it here, here or here. And it's really about finding that that, that best possible investment for them, being able to forecast as, as, as much as you can with, with the information that you have. And if you don't have the right research, if you don't have the right um, basis to go from, well, then the person's just, you know, might as well just use a dartboard, hey? Uh, uh, correct. Yeah, there's a lot. There's in, in the in the property investment space. It's not properly regulated. It sort of mm. falls between two industries. You mm. know, like there's credit advice, which is can take in cash flow, and there's financial planning, and it just sort of and real estate, a real estate license, which is just a traditional retail business. But there's not an actual, um, like specific sort of uh, license to be a property advisor, which I think is a shame. But the things that we learned from the financial planning industry and the mortgage broking industry is if you follow a nice process, then you can deliver really good results. And um, and that's what we want to bring 
to this space. So I wanted to ask you, I know I've talked to you before about, you know, your frustration with what we'll call bad eggs, you know, people who were doing the wrong thing and and, and not doing, you know, the, the best for their client. Um, you had quite a good example of that where you actually were, were you know, taken on, on ABC and, and actually had to talk about that, didn't you? Yeah, now there's a particular um a bad egg. <laughs> so, <laughs> probably, I think this goes public, so I'll just stick with bad egg. But it was a particularly <laughs> awful person who uh, um, really just used his position of trust and abused it to put people in terrible situations that 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 cost hundreds of people um, their their homes. And uh, so I was involved in bringing that uh, forward to ASIC and trying to help those people. So, and that was sort of almost the final straw we need to get in and clean up this industry because even though he'd done such a, a, a terrible thing to these people, there was no real fallback on the guy because it's not actually properly regulated. Mm, mm. So uh, whereas if that was in financial planning or from a credit perspective, he'd, he'd be in jail now. Yeah. So look, let's move forward from that then and go, what, what are now you hoping to achieve in regards to actually bringing that, that, that robust evidence? I mean, you talked about the property evaluation plan that you do for your clients. What does that entail? What are the sort of things that you're actually going to, to do for people that you believe gives them, um, you know, an evidence base to be able to make a good decision? Yeah. Well, the, the, the first thing that you sort of need to uncover is what what is the person trying to achieve mm, yeah mm. so a lot of people in the property space just um have the mindset of if i buy a property i'll make money yeah and they don't really they know that it's a, a good asset class and that it's traditionally done very well but they don't really have the purpose in mind of why they're doing it other than they make money so the first thing we do is we work out okay you want to make money but what, what's what's the purpose and what what are you trying to achieve in the end yeah. So, and we and we try and break that down to well, how long? How long um, are you willing to invest in this area for what goal? And so mm. that might be a, a, a weekly figure of income when they're ready to to retire. And then, and so we we start with that. Yeah. So we and we model backwards. So it's not really about the property. It's about how the how the asset class can achieve that particular part of their their goal. And Hamish, you've spoken about that before in, in regards to investment, you know, like understanding asset classes and what the risks are for each asset class, as well as what are the, you know, what are the good, what are the bad points? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I quite often say to people that, you know, whether it's property, whether it's super, whether it's shares, they're all tools. Mm. They're all tools to help you reach a certain point. And, and, you know, each tool, just like you might think of, you know, a carpenter, they pick up a hammer because it does a certain job. They pick up a, I guess, a, a drill because it does a certain job. And 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 property and, and the different asset classes all have different purposes. So property investment, you know, isn't bad. It's it's just you got to make sure you align the goal with the property, with the, with you know, and what the capacity of the person is. I guess, Matt, if you agree with that, and then and hopefully, you know, it, it all comes together. Yeah. And for you, Matt, what, what are you saying to most of your clients is uh, the length of time that someone needs in, in this asset class to be able to see, uh, you know, some growth and to be able to see the sort of results they're wanting to achieve? Oh, look, you'd, you'd at least want one cycle, do you yeah. know, it's uh, which is 10 years. I think yeah. that's a t- t- 10 years, you know, otherwise, otherwise you're, you're speculating. And, and in the property space, it's expensive to get into it. Mm. And it's expensive to ex- exit it. Mm. Yeah, uh, and it and it's a bit like a slow moving train, you know. Like even the best forecasters, and I sort of read everyone's reports, they'll often be out by a couple of years. They might be in the right city, and the right place, but it might be two years after they expected it to go up that it does. Yeah. So you just got to play that play that patience, you know. So, uh, and and you know it's the same. Hamish should be the same with. Your, your shares, you really make most of your money towards the end. So the longer you're in, much more money you make. Like when we do the modelling and you go from, you know, a 10 to a 20 to a 25 years, the, the difference is huge mm. in the in – the, even, if, even if you use, you know, conservative growth figures like 4%, that's massive difference. 
And I've got to keep reminding my clients of that. I'm sure you do as well. That you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this for ten years, and then I'll start saying to them, "Okay, at ten years, what do we what do we start doing?" And I'm I'm like, "Look, let's just get to ten years, and then you can sit down with your you know financial advisor, your your property investment advisor, your your accountant, and go, what's the best situation? Do we stay in here? Do we do we exit? Do what what do we do? But just to start off with, have that as your goal, and and then start moving forward. Don't feel as though you've got to have everything, you know in a line ready to go to know what you're going to do from now for the next 35 years mm. yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah. it's a game of patience mm. effectively yeah. yeah if you want to if you want to be safe and you don't want to like for want of a better word risk yeah it's a game of yeah, 100%. So you've talked about the risk uh, and looking at the risk profile for, for clients and, and also for the property. What are the other things that you look for to say to people, hey, I think this is the, you know, you've got your 750000 This is what this is where I think it's it's best for us to spend it. What are the other other areas that you look at? Yeah, so the, the, ne- the next thing after you sort of work the goal is the lending side. So obviously I'm lucky that I had um, experience in lending. So when it comes to lending, they, they look at two different things, like how big is your deposit or how much equity you've got. Mm-hmm. And then they'll look at your servicing, which is your monthly cash flow, yeah, your monthly cash flow. And if, say, if you've got a borrower that could borrow a million dollars based on their deposit, but 500000 based on their servicing, then the bank will lend them $500,000, mm-hmm. yeah? Mm-hmm. So they lend the lower of the two. So what's really important, because finance is the key, to being successful in property investment is that you understand what their strength is and their weakness is. Mm. And that helps you focus on what style of property they should head in. So if your if your weakness is servicing, so that's going to stop you from building and buying another property, then you need to pick a property that's going to minimize the, the uh, or, or maximize the income for you to be able to borrow again. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Because what probably a lot of people don't understand is banks will shave off 20% of the rent. They'll add 3% to the interest rate. So even though your reality is you're, you're, you, you might have a positively geared property, when they go to view you to borrow the money, they'll be looking at you as if, if, as if you're negative. Mm. So it's very important to have a really good finance plan around your property investment strategy. So, man, if I could ask you a question about that. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, somebody just in the street might hear that and go, well, surely cash flow is king. You know, we've all heard that saying before. I mean, what's a reason to not focus on cash flow? Like, even if I've got strong servicing, shouldn't I focus on cash flow anyway? Uh, that's a good one. So, it all depends on the individual, right? But let, let me give you an example of um of a, I say a client who's a young person, yeah, and they haven't got a huge a lot of savings, but they're on a they're on big money, you know. Oops, let's let's just say they're on two hundred fifty grand with better prospects, but they're in their early twenties, and they haven't got a huge deposit, and they haven't got a family commitment, yeah. They've just they're they're living the life of Riley, good time, good time, Charlie, right? So in their case, they will benefit more from having uh, something that leans towards capital growth. Yeah. Mm. So now a capital growth play, in generally in my world, it doesn't have particularly good cash flow. So you might buy a house on a you know say a four thousand square meter block that's sort of near some infrastructure that later that's likely to be subdivided or it's capable of being subdivided now. Yeah. So when you look at the cash flow on that, it's going to be pretty awful. It's going to be negative geared, right? But the advantage of that, say, say it cost a million dollars to buy that, yeah? Mm. But the realisation of that property, once it's been developed or subdivided, is $3 million, mm. yeah? So even before you develop it. So if there's 10% growth in that area, if it was just a normal house, it'd make you a hundred. But because the 10% is on the realized value, it'd make, he'd make 300,000 from that lot, potentially from that 10% growth. It's really simple numbers, but that's when you wouldn't focus on cash flow because that person's servicing is strong, but they really just need to make more money to get ahead. Yeah. Mm. I love that and they're thing. on a high... They're on a higher tax bracket, so they get a bigger, bigger better, tax, better, yeah. better. So, yeah. 
And so, look, that's that's a really good example. So, on the flip side, where would where would you give us an example of someone that you would uh, be wanting to, you know, have a, have a higher return on investment, you know, more cash flow coming in? Yeah. So, you know, a, a classic like a, a classic mum and dad client. The the kids are in school. Um, they're paying off a big mortgage, you know, like, mm. as you know, my business is based in Sydney, so there's no such thing as a small one. There's just bigger ones. Um, they would want uh, a cash flow property because they would want the help that they basically want that property to really not drain on their own personal cash flow so they can live their lives and build, you know, their, for their future investment. And ideally that it could help them pay off their mortgage. Mm. So it was a really good high cash flow property. Then, you know, that can deliver you know, a couple of hundred bucks a month, you know, off the mortgage, that, that, that help mortgage is a really good start. And investment properties can do that, you know, if it's the right selection. Mm. And so um, you talk about, uh, you know, doing a, a property investment analysis or what we call, you know, a PIA. Can you explain to us uh, what is that, what, what picture does that actually paint for the person when you actually do that for them? Yeah, that's a really good question. So a P- PIA is basically showing the cash flow of an individual property, right? Mm. But probably the biggest the biggest surprise I get, and still surprises me to this day, is that people when they go to buy an in- investment property, they haven't considered the cash flow of it at all. Mm. They don't they don't look at the cash flow, and but but those same people, if they were going to go and buy a business and say what 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 would be the first thing you'd look at? And they go, well, we'd look at the cash flow and the profit. Mm. So it's exactly it's exactly the same principle for an investment property. Well, what, what does it look like? Is it going to lose me a lot of money? Is it going to break even and we're going to rely on it to go up? Or is it actually going to give me a return on my money now? Mm. So a PIA is basically designed to do that, mate. So you can, you can, it can, it can very accurately tell you how much that property will cost you on a weekly or monthly basis. And you can also use it to um, run hypotheticals on the capital growth, you know, where, where it'll be, how, how, you know, where it'll be in five years, you know, what, 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 what could be the value, what could be the value in 10, 20, 15 years. Mm. So to me, it's an essential tool. So you've done all of this for the property and, and what do you do when it comes to actually choosing where, where are we going to go? You know, those sort of uh, macro and micro geographical influences, what, what helps you to, de- to determine that? Um, yeah, uh, lo- lots of things, lo- lots of things, Steve. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that it's their whole career is, you know, effectively looking at the data and, 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 um, and trying to predict which, which, which market is going to go up next. You know, we, I certainly read a report um, every year and subscribe to a report that forecasts the major cities, mm. um, and it's all data-driven. Do you know, it's all it's all data-driven on what, what's the affordability, what's the outlook for employment. Like it's there's it's such a uh, a, a large web. Mm. Mm. So um, I remember hearing a story. So tell me if this is true that uh, you know before we had a lot of those big data tools that were available to us now, just to just to check and see quite easily. Uh, you know when you had to get um, journals and 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 paper thing coming in, you actually sat there one day and you know put every journal across the the table and circled everything and brought all the data together manually. Was that is that is that true? That's true. That was the bad old days, Steve. It's, yeah. Now there's, yeah, like, yeah, I had all the investment magazines. So there's a particular statistic called days on market, yep. which which measures basically from the time a person lists a property to how long they sell it, right? Yes, yes. So if, if you, 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 and one one figure in isolation doesn't tell you what's going on, yes. but if you can work out the trend, you can. So back in the, back at, back in the day, I've got the magazines and I'd put them out, you know, almost the last five years, and I'd circle the suburb, and I'd try and pick the trend. Uh, and it was a, t- a very painstaking process. But these days, unfortunately, unfortunately, we've got um, uh, the IT system, and it it's, does that in less than ten seconds, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can, and it, and it graphs it beautifully, so I can tell straight away what's going on in suburb. Yeah. 
I know, Hamish, you, you said to me, um, when, when I first heard of, of the name Matt Ivers, it actually came up because you introduced me to Matt and, and you were saying that your frustration from, from the mortgage broking point of view, that you also didn't have this evidence. You're saying, oh, look, this, this guy is starting to develop this really cool, you know, robust evidence that I can actually show my clients and say, look, this, this, is, this is good. So from your point of view, since 2015, when, when Matt started this to where it is now, how, how's that been for your clients? Oh, it's been great. I mean, you know, one of the things that I've, it's just always dumbfounded me is that, you know, somebody will just, um, if they come to me and say, Hamish, I've got half a million dollars to spend, all right, if I just sort of said, oh, let's just open up the ASX and we'll just look at what stocks <laughs> traded the most yesterday and we'll just buy the top five, you know, um, people would just look at me and go, have you got rocks in your head? There's no way I'm giving you half hey, a million Sarah, dollars. Sarah, can you set up the uh, target board? I've got a client here yeah. needs, to, needs to throw something. But people would just say, I can just jump onto Domain and I can just look at property and I can go and check out a few open houses and Bob's your uncle. Poor Bob, we've given him such a bad name. So, but, you know, it, it's it, so just he, hearing this data come through in this, okay, you know, we can never get it 100% right. But, you know, knowing that there's a, a process, as Matt said, and that, you know, we're following the science, if, mm. we, if we can use that phrase, I think it, I think it's really important and it's good. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Have, have you seen a difference in, in I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of almost been 10 years now since Matt's been sort of doing this. Have you seen a difference in, in the way clients have, have felt confident in their investments and also in the results of them? Oh, look, I, I, de- I would definitely say... You know, the good news is is that the clients that we've referred to, Matt, I haven't had any bad stories. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's a relief. <laughs> but, but, but let's also bear in mind, like, there's there's some good stories in there as well. But mm. we're at the eight year mark, aren't we? Yeah. All right. So, yeah. so in terms of, and probably that first sort of six or twelve months, Matt, you know, you probably didn't do a lot. It was probably more just getting in, learning what you were doing, and, and that sort of thing. So, so f- uh, that's the good news is that there's no clients that would say I regret you know, going down this path of being referred through mm. to Matt and the team. And, and you know, but, and we're not at that 10-year mark yet, all right? So I think that's important, you know, if that makes sense. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I think you should call some of those clients because the last couple of years they've killed it, mate. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, so. One of the things I wanted to bring up, Matt, was, um, you know, I spoke to you about this new tool that you've developed, this this mortgage reduction calculator, because it's it's one of those things that um, clients will often bring up. You know, I've, I've got a mortgage, I want to get investment, how's it going to work together? So tell us, what, what have you actually developed here and how's that been helping your clients to, to be able to get a visual of, of what you're trying to explain to them? Yeah, so, um, well, because oh, it must be because I've just got this strong mortgage Broken background, so one of the one of the things is if, if you get rid of your home loan, it just makes your life so much better, right? Mm, mm. So even though we're in the game of like giving people a home loan, it's not a it's not a debt we want them to keep. Yeah, rather they have done you know the good debt, bad debt, right? Home loans, it's the best bad debt, right? So there's a few different ways to pay it off. Like one is the hard slog of just throwing more money at it, yeah, which mm. we should do, a hundred percent. That's what we should do. The other, the other thing is to just regularly review your mortgage. If you can just get a better rate, but you maintain that repayment, that can that can save you. You know, it's not it's not huge, but it can save you a few years. And a few mm. years adds up to you know 40, 50 grand, depending mm. on the mortgage. Yeah. Mm. But the other way is you can use an investment property. So obviously, when rates are lower, it works really well because a lot of things are positively geared, mm. and then you can take that positive cash flow and throw it off your mortgage. And the other one is you can use the capital growth. So mm. at some point, if you've invested in a property and it's not really that big a drain on your cash flow, yeah, but it grows over time, your 10, 15 years, you can sell that down and clear your mortgage. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's three different strategies. I would say a combination of all three is ideal. And so this this tool demonstrates the effect of those, those things individually and combined. Mm. And it does it in a really pretty way. That's what I love about it. It's actually, you know, it's graphical, it, it, it's, you know, visual. And so it makes the average person who's not a mortgage broker, financial advisor, or a property advisor to be able to see it and go, oh, I get it, I get I get what you're doing here. That that actually looks really good. You know, it's a forecast. Uh, it's, it's saying this is what we're hoping we'll achieve over 10, 20 years, but it makes it really effective and really easy to be able to see that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's 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 great. It's really good having like I've got a fellow called John Moore, 
who's helping me develop this. You know, I could never do it on my own. I'm doing spreadsheets and they're messy. And for him <laughs> to put it in the software and produce these beautiful reports, it's 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 a massive bonus for everyone. Yeah. And we're, not, we're visual creatures more often than not these days. You know, oh, totally. We actually need a picture to be able to understand what's going on. You give somebody 20 pages of information and half of this don't have the patience to get through it. So actually being able to articulate it in a way that is just straightforward and and, 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 and digestible I think is really important. Yeah, and, Greg, to be honest, I've done similar things, you know, with, with spreadsheets and you can say to the person, see, look at this spreadsheet, look look what it's showing you, and you can see the, the glaze on their eyes as they go, yeah, it's, it's great because mm. the average person just doesn't doesn't want to see spreadsheets or numbers. So having a visual is, is, is the key, I think. Mm. Great, yeah, isn't it? yeah, and yeah, that that's why you come to people who specialise in those areas. Yeah, yeah, 100%. because because these days the whole the whole world we're all specialists, right? Yeah, and we really just have to pick the right partner because if you're not a specialist, you're not you're not on top of your game these days, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, another question I wanted to put forward to you, I mean, look, everyone's talking about high interest rates, you know, where it is at the moment, uh, you know, not everywhere, but a lot of property sales have slowed down. Uh, the price of property looks to be stabilising. I mean, obviously, I'm being very general here. But, um, you know, with those large percentage rises that we've seen over the over the last year or so with with, um, with interest, you know, where, is this a good time to buy property? I mean, as a, as a property investment advisor, what are you saying to your clients? Yeah, um, well, the, the, the big thing that I'm seeing in our space is the absolute lack of supply, yeah? Mm. So there's a rent, there's a rental crisis for me mm. absolutely looming. You can see it everywhere. There's, well, I think we're historically probably the lowest we've ever had nationally in uh, vacancy rates. Like, yes. they're just about non-existent. So it, it is definitely a good time to purchase, yeah? Depend, mm. Like, depends on the market. You've really got to pick... The, if you if you can afford it with the higher interest rate level, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that that's not going to last. That's trying to solve a problem. That problem, um, once it's on top of, they'll 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 loosen the shackles on that, yeah. Mm. And when they loosen the shackles on that, it'll it'll be game on because it's so short on stock that I can only and it's dreadful. I can only see it going up. From that point, as soon as buying capacities uh, increased again, it, it'll be game on because there's just it just doesn't make sense to rent because the rent is so much, right? Yeah, I mean, you've only got to read, so, you know, any newspaper you pick up, and there's a story about someone who can't rent. You know, they've got a good job, they've they've got a, you know, they're often they're professionals, uh, and they're just unable to to rent somewhere. You know, so that's actually you know a very truthful statement. Yeah, it's 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 really quite uh, sad. Mm. Really, that um, that the people with the least amount of money can't even really afford to rent mm. in many places, you know, or rent where they certainly want to live. Yeah. Um, and I can I can only see that getting worse because we've really come off a self-induced building boom, right? Mm. So to get through COVID, the government obviously stimulated housing, mm. the RBA stimulated with rates, yeah. So there there was a lot of um, houses built. Yeah, mm. during that period, and it was as pushed through, and there was no immigration, right? And we still, still ran out of property, yeah. and so now we've got immigration, and now we've got higher interest rates, so people are investing less, and a lot of investors who had, you know, poor cash flow properties because they probably didn't understand the weight of it, and certainly when it went from two percent to five and a half to six, mm. they've dumped it. It's been bought by owner occupiers. And there's less stock. Yeah. So, yeah. if you if if you can if you can afford to invest this time, and you know you understand your cash flow, yeah, understand the cash flow. If you can afford, it will pay off later because when rates come back down, that property will switch very quickly into positively geared, and away you go. So that leads me on to another question. I, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this, Matt, but um, you know we've sort of seen 
information over the years talking about, um, you know, uh, like during COVID there was all these houses that were empty because of them turning into holiday houses. You've also got this, I guess, question mark around the number of people in each dwelling, right, slowly dropping down over time, A, because we're having less kids and I think there's a quite a high proportion of people that like or, or choose to live on their own these days. So are you seeing that sort of come through in the style of uh, houses being built and things like that or not really? Uh, it's definitely like you can see apartments and townhouses and smaller houses are, are catering from it. Mm. You know, like even uh, like rooming houses, you know, like a rooming house is like a like a flash boarding house, mm. you know, where, where, where they've got um, almost a studio apartment sharing with five other people and the take-up of them is massive, yeah. Oh. So it's how how people are choosing to live, but I, I don't believe that um, the planning, you know, the planning level at all state government levels is anywhere near good enough or to, to deal with what's coming yet, or it doesn't seem to be. It seems to be a bit reactive. It seems to be behind the ball. Um, you know, like you can see we've got a crisis now, but if you were to build a big apartment block yet, yeah, from go to woe, so I mean one, you know, that's at least a couple of hundred, 300. That's a five-year minimum mm. project, you know, and that's only 200 units that may look after 400 people, mm. you know. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a bit worried. Mm. I, I, I think the biggest issue that we'll see the next federal election will be housing, mm. will be a housing crisis. That's... Yeah, I, I can see on. that too. I, I think you're right. I, I think that is going to become uh, talked about more and more in the in the media and in the public. Uh, I read recently that um, you know the government spent uh, I can't remember how many billion dollars it was on um, revamping all of the you know community housing and social housing, uh, and by the end of it, they were actually a hundred uh, houses or a hundred units uh, less than what they were when they started, because so many of them had to actually be um, demolished and, and pulled down because they weren't they were no longer structurally right. So, yeah, they started the project thinking they're going to increase the amount of social housing they had, and by the time they finished it, they actually had, had decreased it by, by 100 houses. I mean, the rest of them were all beautifully new and renovated, but still, you know, in negative, and that's just going to continue. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and even if you throw a huge amount of money at it at the moment, you just don't have – there's not the people to just build it. Yeah. You know, there's just – you know, if you look at look for coming out of it, the pipeline's getting better now, but there was just not enough people to get the work done. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I mean, there wasn't enough builders, and there wasn't enough supply, and there was a big issue in the industry that came out of COVID, but there wasn't enough town planners mm. to approve stuff. You mm. know, um, so it was you know it was it was hyped up and it, it sort of blew it up. But but the problem we've got now is with the interest rates being high and the stock that was built and came through, it's not, it's still not helped the vacancy rate levels. And I'm not talking from an investment perspective. I'm talking from a healthy Australia perspective. Mm. Um, the problem is now we've got higher interest rates. There's less interest. You haven't got your mum and dad, normal investors that just aren't going to want to invest because they're struggling under their own mortgage. They're not thinking about getting another one where the, where, where a property is going to take more money off them at this point, yeah? You know, so... Totally. And look, to touch back on that interest rate thing, I, I had a speak, I talked to a client recently who was who brought that up in, in a bit of a worry, is this the right time? And I said to them, look, I always say to, to my clients, um, I, I need you to, to do the figures and do the numbers and talk to your mortgage broker and your accountant and so forth because, you know, example, uh, you know, a year or two ago, we're at 2%, that we're not going to stay here. You know, interest rates are going to go up. Interest rates are going to go down. Property is a 10-year, 20-year game. It's not going to stay at 2% for the whole 10 years, you know. And so now we've got a situation where interest rates are high, and it's the same conversation in reverse. It's just saying, okay, this is this is the higher end of the game. Do you know what I mean? Talk to your mortgage broker, mm-hmm. your financial planner, your accountant, get advice around that. But we can expect that over the next 10 years, it's going to go down again and then go back up again. So I think it's it's funny. It's one of those things where when interest rates are low, people have this really positive, you know, optimistic outlook and don't want to consider what the cost might be if interest rates go up. But when interest rates are higher, they're actually being able to get in with a much 
greater understanding of, of what their cash flow is and what they can afford as well. So sometimes for some of my clients, it's, it's actually not a bad time because, you know, they, they're they really understanding the risk, they're really understanding the reward, and they're really understanding what, what their outlay is going to be for this investment property. Mm-hmm. And I want to be really yeah. careful here, sorry, Matt, is that, yeah. you know, we've all been sort of bred to use this the, these, these words like, oh, interest rates are so high, right? So whereas... Yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but we spent the first ten years working as a mortgage broker, where the average interest rate was six and a half, seven percent. All right. So mm. you know, so rates actually, and I want to be careful here because there's there's obviously a bit of pain out there, and people aren't, aren't enjoying this change of interest rates. And I'm not necessarily saying that rates are going to go up terribly much further either, but we have to put it in perspective that the rates mm. we're currently paying at the moment are historically high. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. Anyway, sorry to change your, your mood. No, no, no. That's exactly yeah. exactly what I was mm. what I was getting at as well. So, Matt, look, you know, um, we talked about the ideas of different areas. So, you know, do you sort of see in Australia there's there's a bit of a property clock that, you know, it might be good in Melbourne one year, might be good in Brisbane another year, might be good in you know. Adelaide another year, um, but essentially your job is to is to look around Australia at, at where currently now is going to be the best place to actually put your money. Because Hamish and I have talked before that often people want to invest next door. You know, they want to invest somewhere where they know. They want to invest in a suburb that they, that they actually you know are a bit more aware of. And it's one of the things we have to try to explain to them is go look. I, I get that. It's it's nice the idea that you can you know see your investment property if you go for a drive for ten minutes. But at the same time, you can't go into it. You can't just knock on the door and go for a walkthrough. You have to trust your your leasing agent to be the one that's actually going to do that work for you. So whether it's in Brisbane, Perth or Adelaide, in reality, it's not going to change. So therefore, it's about going which you know area, which city, which suburb is the best for me right now. Would you agree with that, Matt? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like it's, it's, it's really only first-time investors who – who feel that way. And mm. it's our job to try and explain that, trust me, when you buy this place, you'll never ever look at it again, probably. Mm. You know, like like if you if you ask, you know, if you ask most of your clients, they'll go and see it at the time of the purchase and then they pretty much it just pops out of their head until it's time maybe to, to sell it, yeah. Mm. So, but you can understand why they're nervous. They understand that market. That's the market they understand. But it really is our job to explain that, yes, that, that this property uh, could be one, but we really need to put the merits forward of something else so that they feel comfortable in stepping out of that zone. But de- definitely, it's very, very rare that the best opportunity for you is next door. Mm. Very, mm. very rare. Mm. The odds are very, very low. Yeah. So, are you are you willing to to you know talk to our audience and let them know where your your head is at at the moment? Yeah. Well, I think well, you talked about a property clock, right? So normally there is one. Yeah, normally there's a bit of a property clock and it depends where you start on the clock. But if you were going to start, like, say, in Sydney, yeah, Sydney Sydney might go first. Say that's the first market that went up, yeah, and it's usually interest rate-driven city because mm. of the expense, yeah, the affordability, closely followed by Melbourne. And then those, those markets generally go up and then people find it a stretch and get sick of it and feel overwhelmed by that market. So then you get interstate migration you know they might go to queensland over to adelaide or potentially over to perth yeah that's the normal cycle what we saw in covid was everywhere was a bit quiet and then everywhere took off at the same time yeah. <laughs> because they overstimulated i've never seen that before but that, that's what happened and it's one year but you can see the corrections coming right for the mm. markets that were that were uh really overstimulated yeah so and that's your sydney's they'd already come off a pretty good run um, that's your, that's your Melbourne's. They're 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 coming off. Brisbane went up probably too much, too too quick. It's it's coming off a bit, but I still think it's a pretty good market to look at. It's got a good story coming. Um, Adelaide's done pretty well, um, but a, a market like Perth, which is sort of shut out mm. and really hasn't done a lot since the mining boom. It's really only just coming in. The the figures there, the data that we look at, it's lining up. It's yeah. lining up really well. So um, it all depends on the individual circumstances, but certainly I've got a very strong eye for that market in uh, Western Australia at the moment. And it's interesting. There was a point in time there where they almost talked about Perth exceeding property prices in Sydney. 
I remember back in the 2000s, you know, it was very, you know, it was, it was interesting. And then Perth just been quiet ever since, hasn't it? It has. And, and, but you can, it it can be explained because basically they had their mining boom, right? So when you have a mining boom, it's really intensive to start when you set up all the mines. So you have to have lots of people in, but once they're set up, then there's really sort of the maintenance team. So that huge labor force that was attracted over there, then, then moved back east. Yeah. Yeah, but there, there isn't a. There's nothing particularly mining boom going on in WA. It's just been in the doldrums for for so long. Um, you know, like affordability. I, I can't can't. I don't remember the exact numbers, but just home loan affordability over there is like a twenty something percent. You know, whereas Sydney's like sixty. Now, what people probably don't understand, but the people in Perth earn as much money as the people in Sydney. Mm. Just, just, just that alone, you know. So sorry, um, Matt. Just to clarify that. So when you say twenty percent versus sixty percent, so you're saying twenty percent of household income is going into service correct. the debt, right? So, correct, so yeah. there's three times. Um, yeah, it, it, it might it might be like twenty seven. You know yeah, what I mean? Okay. In Perth, but right. yeah, it's it's it, it's at least half as much as Sydney, right? Mm-hmm. You require half as much, yeah. But but they earn just as much. Mm. Yeah. So. Uh, so it, the, the, just the sheer capacity of that uh, state to afford for the houses to go up, mm. they can they can cope with it. So if you if you look at the data now and what who's going backwards and who's staying fine or even got growth, it's it's those cities where a, a, a big increase in the interest rate doesn't really bother them too much because their mortgages are small, mm. right? Yeah. And correct me so, if I'm wrong. Uh, Sorry, Matt, you finish. No, you go. No, that. No. I was, Done. Right. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong, just for the listeners. So um, a bit of an average for mortgages is you sort of know a property market is affordable when it's under 30 and it's starting to heat up a bit when it gets sort of into those mid sort of 40s, isn't it? Uh, yeah, correct. Mm. Correct. So 60%, obviously, if it does get that high, is, is quite detrimental, but, but 20s is good. Mm-hmm. Um, Plus, I think um, I, I wouldn't have the figures off my head, but I think Perth actually had had quite a lot of, um, you know, inter-population uh, influx as well after COVID as well. So there was, there was more than a few people going, you know, do I want to move to Brisbane? Do I want to move to Perth? And so a lot of those outlying areas got, got a lot of Sydney and Melbourne's uh, population as well, you know. And it's interesting. Yeah, and, and, no, you go, yeah, mate. So I was going to say, and the big thing, what we didn't have was overseas migration, right? Mm. So so one of the things that probably works against a market like Perth is it's just so far away from your family, right? So if, mm. you, if you live in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, you're like a one-hour, two-hour flight. To, mm. to get to your family, but obviously Perth, you know, it's a four-hour flight, so it's a bit bit too far. But so when they don't have international migration, because international people don't care, they'll just mm. look at the city. And, is it a really nice city? Oh, this place is heaps more affordable, and I get paid more money because mm. they're not tied to family. Yeah, so they're going to pick up a lot of that. And they and if you, if I don't know if you've been to Perth recently, but you can see it. It's very multicultural place. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So I wanted to ask you a question going back to being a, a investment property advisor, uh, you know, and, um, and, and being involved in the uh, Property Association of Australia, the Investment Property Association of Australia. How has that actually helped you, you know, personally with both yourself, um, with your own finances, but also with, with your own clients? Like, has that changed your, your outlook over the last 10 years of, of how you view property and, and how you go about actually choosing property? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, amazing, like huge, huge mm. difference, yeah. Yeah, just even after I did the um, the course, you know, yeah. it changed my view on the way I look at property um, because you, you, you find that until you make your decisions with the influence of data, yeah, mm. and understanding is you, you will often think the market, other markets are like the market that you've experienced and you won't see the nuances between the markets, yeah. Mm. So... Um, you know, like I would have a Sydney view because I, you know, grew up in mainly in Sydney and you know, spent 20 years there. Um, so I would place a Sydney view across another city, and uh, and rather, that, but but when you look at the data and you look at what people are doing, that that view may or may not be correct. Yeah. Mm. So it, it's a it's it's a massive difference. Mm. Massive difference. 
Like you can apply it, like Sydney's a mature market, so you can apply things that might happen, but you might apply them too early, right? Mm-hmm. You might might be too early, yeah? For example, apartments in Brisbane, right? Yeah. You think, and you think in Sydney, Sydney apartments are strong, right? Strong because it's so expensive to buy a house. But if you bought apartments in Brisbane, say, seven or eight years ago, yeah, over a house, that was a bad investment decision, yeah? Mm. But if you bought a house, you cleaned up. Yeah. And the reason and the reason was because people afford to buy a house, yeah. so they're not going to buy an apartment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So one of the things I, I always talk about with clients is, is especially being a buyer's agent myself, is, um, you know, it's really important to try and find um, a professional that's actually got a professional body they're associated with. Uh, you know, you're the uh, vice president of the Property Investment Association of Australia, and I'm, I'm a member of that as well. But I wanted you just, in your own words, to explain to people why, you know, in this industry that is a bit deregulated and doesn't have that sort of regulation that other industries do, why is it important to to have these associations or to even ask, you know, is your buyer's agent a part of that association? Yeah, uh, because it's the they have a professional code of con- conduct. And, uh, and then they have to follow. So even though there's no particular um, licensing or compliance regime put on them, the, the industry body puts puts it on them, on their members, yeah? yeah? So they, they have to follow a certain um, uh, process. So one of the, one of the, um, uh, the reason why it was founded, the, the membership is to, is, is to do that, and because a, a lot of what happens in the industry is people find some stock and then justify that to their client. Yes. Whereas it should be, what does your client need and go and find it? Yeah. Yes. And so what is the, what is the compliance regime about doing that? And, and, uh, uh, and that's what the association's about. And so the members that are within it have to follow that protocol. Yeah, because you, you often see it on, especially on social media these days, you know, buyers agents will be saying, oh, I've got this property here. Uh, and it does make me go, hang on, you've already got a property and now you're looking for a client. Like it seems to be a little bit reverse reverse around. I know that they're not selling that property, but they've still found a property that they're now going, this is this is a good option for, for someone to buy, but they haven't actually gone through that process with their client to find out what, the, what their, that client needs. Mm. Uh, correct, correct. If it, if it, it shouldn't work that way, like I just hope that those ads, then they go and assess the client, and then they say, "Well, maybe this is not right for you." Mm. But I, 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 I do know the industry, and unfortunately, that's generally how it operates. And it's interesting because you guys may or may not have seen there was a recent Four Corners show on real estate as an industry, mm. and one of the things that they they did was they focused on two or three agents. You guys see this at all? No? Yeah. I heard about it. I didn't yeah. actually I see did, it. No, yeah. I did see it. Yes. And it was Newcastle based. Oh, yes. oh, look, yes. Thanks for bringing that up. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I find it interesting when there's this line that says, but I'm following the letter of the law. Yes. And I'm not quoting him, but sort of similar to one of what one of the guys said. Yes. And isn't that, that's that's really that key difference with a, a professional association, isn't it? Is it's, it's asking its members to go not just to manipulate the law or to stay out of trouble but it's it's this best interest duty like what mortgage broking has had and 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 you know financial planning's been through that as well it's it's actually saying what does the client need and how do we make sure the client is protected as much as possible through this process um would you agree with that matt oh i couldn't matt when people say i'm just following the law you know that that says everything about them right Mm. yeah because yeah. they're basically saying, well, I can justify my disgraceful behaviour because there's no law to stop me from doing it, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and you're absolutely right. Like at best interest duty um, that's in in the mortgage breaking space and in the financial planning space. I wish it was in this space mm. because yeah. that would clean it up a lot. That would clean up this industry substantially. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Is the association uh, your your association pushing for that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like John Moore, who you know, he's been pushing that that this property advice space be a national licensed regime for, for a decade. Mm. Um, and I think there's been a misconception that if you if you if you put the regime over the brokers, you know, then, then that would that would clean it up, but the brokers the brokers don't the brokers regime does not stop a person giving bad property advice. Mm. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't. I think that the 
think it was just Labor. The Kevin, Kevin Rudd government thought that when, when they first introduced it to us that that would tidy that up, but it just hasn't been the case at all mm. yet. Mm. Well, hopefully you guys can keep pushing that in the political you know world and, and get to a point where it's better for our clients and, and safer for the Australian public. Mm. Yeah, that'd be great. It'd be great if we could... Um, Get to that point, but mm. in the meantime, let's let's you know. I figure let's just try and practice that. Yeah. Get as many people following that regime, and and um, and like you can see with the broker industry, when they just really pushed hard, and the the vast majority of brokers put their best interests at heart. You see what happens. Like yeah. they've got 70 percent market share now, and it's because most brokers are looking after their friends and family and doing the right thing by them. Yeah. Yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? Like the average professional is doing the right thing. It's that you know very small percentage that aren't uh, that then make it make it bad for everybody else. But it's, it's it's important that you have associations like the you know the PIAA to 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 actually bring those those ethics and morals into the into the industry. Correct. Yeah, and if you could, if you create a regime that actually is beneficial for the client, yeah, and beneficial for all the all the stakeholders. Like if you set it up that way, mm. then you'll get good behaviour even from the bad people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which would be ideal, right? So, Matt, sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I know, you know this wasn't one of the questions that we sort of um, talked about earlier on, but it's just really interested. If if you're going to tell somebody off the street, like if you weren't in the industry, um, you know, a bit of a checklist or how do you tell the bad eggs from the good in, in your industry? What, what are some signs that they should be looking for? Um, oh, that's a really good question, Hamish. They'll over, over, over promise. So they'll say, they'll say things like you'll get, uh, 10% or 20% capital growth, you know, straight away. If they make any promise around the capital growth that you, you'll get, um, because you don't know, right? You can only really state the facts that would present a good case for capital growth. We don't know what the number is. The best forecasters in Australia get it wrong all the time, yeah? So if they're claiming that, that that's that's a big red flag. The other one is do, do your own homework. So a, a thing that I have saw a lot as an um, investment lender is that they would quote clients like, say, $1,000 a week. You'll get $1,000 a week in rent, right? There's no way they're getting $1,000 a week in rent. They're getting $600. So you can do simple things like go on realestate.com or any of the any other sites and have a look that something's that's equivalent mm. to what they're 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 saying to you and see what rent they're getting. Yeah. Check it out. Because overpromising on rent is a common one because it makes the cash flow look better and they try and sell you on that, but the, the actual fact is it's not true, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not actually true. The other the other one is that that always gets me is I've got 15 properties and I'm 28 and uh, <laughs> I'm 28 years old and I've got a $10 million portfolio. It's just, it's just, it's just not true. The only way they could possibly have that is by committing fraud and, and they'll come unstuck from doing it. Or, Do you know what I mean? Or they're a multimillionaire to start off with. Mm. Or the, yeah, multi-millionaire, the inheritance. Yeah. And, or, and, and, yeah. Well, they're multimillion, but you know, they should disclose that. Well, I got $10 million. So that's why I've got that many places. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and if they drive it around in some sort of really super, you know, Ferrari or Lamborghini, plus they're 28 years old and they've got a $15 million portfolio. No, no, they've probably gleaned a lot of people of a lot of money. Uh, rather than actually built their portfolio by themselves with their job at Woolworths. It's just not true. It's not true. It's not possible. Yeah. And a bit of a reverse on that, which is something I think you brought up earlier on, is um, just something I've picked up from tonight is, is, you know, almost the person that won't put anything in writing. Right, which is sort of what you're doing, yeah. isn't it? You're trying to change the industry by saying, "Let me put my advice in writing." Uh, correct. Yeah, yeah. No, like if if we recommend uh, something to someone after their personal assessment, it's about a twenty-page document mm. that that we you know we get them to sign off on, and they get a copy of it. And if we put anything there that's not true with it, they can come back come back at us. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, look. Matt, I have really enjoyed this conversation and uh, really enjoyed, you know, the advice that, that you've offered today. Uh, one of the things we always ask our, our guests is that um, if you could go back to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell them? Oh, 
much. Is this like in, in, from a professional perspective? Or? From what? <laughs> yeah. As long as it's clean, but yeah, no, no, just just in general, like you know, the advice you've you've got, whether it's professional or, or personal, what would you be saying to that eighteen-year-old self if you could do it? Ah, uh, well, the eighteen. Like, look, look, I was gonna, I was gonna bash myself and say, you know, you should have bought more property earlier, right? <laughs> but I did, I did, I did get in pretty early. But you, you definitely. If you can, as a as a young eighteen year old, don't go for the shiny things like the flash car and the flash and 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 the holidays. If you can balance it and just save a bit of money to get your start, you will just be so much better off in the future. Like if if you know we demonstrate all the time, right? As advisors, the effects of compound interest, and if you can get in early as an eighteen year old, or as early as you can. You just get that much more time and you'll just come out so much more comfortable later in your life. Mm. You know? You know, as you you, you guys know, we're we're in our fifties and we've got and we're raising families and you know what I mean? And if you imagine if you had a big portfolio when you're you know, eighteen, twenty, mm. yeah, you start investing earlier, how much easier your life would be, right? Oh, oh 100%. and for me it was actually about um I started doing well when I started seeking professionals' help. Do you know, like, mm. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And um, we've discussed this before, Hamish, but, you know, I, I've referred personal friends, you know, to yourself even before they're ready to get a mortgage, saying just have a conversation because it's amazing how quickly they can go from where they are to getting a mortgage or getting investment property by getting advice from the right, from the right people, mm. you know, because they just don't know what they don't know. Mm. You know, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah uh, like one of the good traits, mate, is 100% you should get advice from people, but also a really good trait to work on is working out who are, who are genuine people, yeah. who genuinely want to help you. Absolutely. So if you, if you can work on that, because most people are genuine, right? Most, mm. but, but the ones who aren't are pretty sneaky. Mm. So you want to pick them and test them. Yep. So be optimistic, but be a little bit cynical about their advice and 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 check it out. Yeah. And ask the questions. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Ask the questions. Don't yeah. take it for granted that they've got your best interest. Mm. Yeah. 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 Like, but believe it, but test it. Mm. Yeah. 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 So look, another question we always ask people is, uh, if you were going to write a book, what would the title be, and what would the book be about? Yeah, uh, I, I, I saw that question. I've stumped him. <laughs> I saw that question, and then I and I couldn't write it. I, I, the one I was thinking of writing, I don't, I don't. Um, I, I think I, I think I, like I always get back to this book. I think like Confessions of a Mortgage Broker. Like it's just stupid, <laughs> right? So we can tell the stories, tell the stories of what we've seen that would help people. Yeah. yeah. So I've seen a lot of investors do very well, and a lot do get themselves in all sorts of pickles that we saw it. So it's not, I don't know if it's confessions of a mortgage broker, but it's just telling the tales that will uh, stop people from making the same mistakes that brought other people unstuck would be, that'd be a good book to write. Mm. I reckon that'd be a great book to write, actually. I'll definitely read it. That's for sure. Yeah, look, I don't know if we've got time or not, but I've just, there's just one, uh, you know, one classic story that just comes out from being a mortgage broker. But, you know, uh, you're right. It'd be a great book. We've all, we've, we've had probably. Come on, you've got to tell us now. You can't start with that. Oh, you know, all right, really quickly. So, you know, so guy, very conservative Christian. All right. Yeah. So it comes to me and, and at the time you might remember this, Matt, there was this thing sort of um, rent to buy schemes that were out there that, Mm, you know, people mm. would sort of buy a property uh, and then not mm-hmm. sell it. Anyway, this rapping. guy, you're rapping, yeah. yeah. So this guy comes to me and goes, Hamish, I've got this dilemma. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you know, what's the problem? And he goes, well, I've met this lady and I'd really like to try and help her um, get into her first home, all right? So, but she's got a bit of a checkered history and, and, um, and, and you know, so, but, and I'm not quite sure what to do. And I said, well, but what is the, the checkered history? I don't quite understand what's going on. And he said, well, he said, she's, she's a, have you ever heard the expression, she's a lady of the night? All right. And uh, I said, oh, wow. Okay. Um, where are you going with this? And he said, well, she, she's not quite earning enough income. And I said, right. And he goes, yeah. So, she said to me, oh, I really want this house. I'm happy to work harder, all right, if, if I can just get the loan. <laughs> and, 
and he just didn't know what to do with that because it was just so against his his ethics, his background, you know. So, right, so, and, yeah, that story, I mean, it's got to be 15 years old now, but it's just always okay. stuck with me as being just one of those absolute classics. Yeah, I think that that's definitely one you remember. That's <laughs> definitely. He needs to pass it on to someone else and go, here you go, you can take this one. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so. Please, what can you do to earn more money? Yeah, just a little right. bit harder. Yeah, yeah, anyway. no, maybe not that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> do do mowing. Right. Look, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I've really appreciated all of your uh, professional advice and, and the stories you've been able to tell us, uh, and it's been really great. So we really appreciate that, and I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future. Mm. Yeah, yeah thanks, it's mate. been my pleasure, fellas. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. We're good. Well, look, at Help of Wealth, we're all about empowering your financial journey. Today we've done that by talking to Matt Ivers about uh, investment properties and, and where the property market is at the moment in Australia. So I hope that's helped you. Um, goodbye for now, and we'll see you again next time. Yeah. Thank you. See you later. Bye. discussed by the Help My Wealth and the Money Rules, Money Rules podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is generally nature and it is not advice. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. It is aimed to provide a general understanding of each topic and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. It is strongly suggested that you seek professional advice regarding your own individual circumstances before making a financial decision. Help My Wealth and the hosts of the Money Rules and Money Rules podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. In the spirit of reconciliation, Help My Wealth and the Money Rules or Money Rules podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to past, present and emerging elders. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.